sermon is actually from the um, call to worship from the psalm that's part of our lectionary today. Let us pray. Lord, two words leapt off the page when I was reading the psalm. One was shame and the other enemy. I don't know why feel led to preach about this today, but there seems to be something there that is of you. So we're asking for your help in interpreting this. And I pray most earnestly that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together are acceptable to you. You are the only one. Amen. One of the things that uh, in preparing for this class on what Presbyterians believe is that there is so much criticism about our culture right now that people really don't believe in much. And we do believe in something. Everybody believes in something. And church people, good church people, even if they haven't been formally trained in certain things, believe in something. Even our most casual offhand remarks reveal that we believe in something. And a couple of times in the last few weeks, one person was Seal Newman, who had lost her son. And the other person was Ginny Rittle, whose husband is in um, the hospital with a very bad stroke and paralysis. Both of these women said these words to me. I can feel the people's prayers. I can feel the people's prayers. And that statement reveals so much about what they believe. It means that they believe in the power of prayer and that people are praying for them and that they believe in a particular type of prayer, intercessory prayer, and that using this kind of prayer will actually make a difference. They believe that they know when people are praying for them. And I don't know if you'd call it a feeling some kind of indescribable work of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have known this, haven't you, when people are praying for you? That there is, you can tell. And there's an awareness and maybe warmth. The statement, I feel the people's prayers, are pointing to belief in the church big time. That there's a unified group of believers honoring specific prayer requests. Our church really believes in intercessory prayers, and so do a lot of, of churches. We believe in it for individuals, and we believe that our church as a group needs to be praying for groups, for mercy when people face disaster. Uh, we were having a conversation this morning, and I'm thinking we really need to pray for the people of Boston so they don't go nuts. And we pray for the world. And some of us are becoming aware, and I wish I could tell you this is because of my great sensitivity to the world, but there's someone in this congregation who has been bringing to my attention the fact that Christians around the world are being persecuted and are being tortured. Our church has an obligation to pray. We believe in praying for others. But today's psalm shows another kind of prayer to believe in. Prayers from the depth of our souls about ourselves. And I get indications that some people can pray these prayers pretty easily, 
But for some people to pray for yourself is very, very difficult. Some actually think that this is some kind of weakness to pray for ourselves. Crying out to God on behalf of others, we can do that. Crying out to God on behalf of ourselves, that can feel awkward or overly self-involved or overly self-indulgent or too self-focused, but it is the pathway to spiritual growth and maturity. Most Psalms are attributed to David the shepherd who would become king but you don't have to investigate too deeply to learn that we really don't know how much David contributed to many of the Psalms. But Psalm 25 is David-like in its instruction and its content. David, who prayed what was on his heart, was open about his inner life. And there is, in our approach to this scripture, God's hope. And boy, am I careful in saying that because... You can't really say what God hopes, except that he says it again and again, that we will pray to him about what plagues us. And if you are human and in the world and have meaningful relationships, something's plaguing you (laughs) or you wouldn't be alive. Whatever it is, that's what God longs to hear. There is this spiritual discipline called praying the Psalms, which means if you don't have the word yourself, pray the Psalms and everything you're feeling, especially a certain type of song called Psalm called lament. The Psalter, the grouping of Psalms is an essential part of scripture because it not only gives us permission, but insists that we go inward and bring the content of our souls to God. Everything from our need to praise him to even the most personal things about why did I do that again? Oh, Lord, why didn't I shut my mouth? Maybe you guys never have that. (laughs) Some, (laughs) Some of the Psalms, why, oh, why, oh, Lord? And when you get a chance, just look at Psalm 10. It's a doozy. Why, oh, why, oh, Lord? It's hard to adjust to the fact that what the world usually doesn't want to hear, I mean, if we say that in the world, we'll hear, get over it, quit whining. But that is what the Lord is longing to hear. The psalm begins with focusing on God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. I'm giving the Lord, in giving the Lord our soul, there is a belief, a clear belief, which is we have a soul. I was listening to NPR yesterday and they were talking about the functioning of the brain and how people have so many more billion of neurons than animals. And it's just, they were saying that's the difference between a human brain and an animal brain, that there's just more to the human brain, more neurons. And I thought, no, it's the soul. <laughs> We're not animals. It's the soul. You are trying to define and categorize something. We believe in a soul. And the soul that we believe in, because scripture tells us, needs to draw near to God. And you I trust, oh my God. We could devote a, ser- a sermon series to trust issues. 
there are few worse feelings in the world when people you trusted about God turn away from God. And I remember someone very close to me who no longer felt the need to believe and he explained it away and I've simply outgrown the need for this personal relationship with God. We learn that our trust is in God, not the faith of anyone else. Humans are lovable, but humans are fallible. The faith we trust in is the faith that's given to us by God. So then the psalm continues, no one whose hope in, your, in you will ever be put to shame. Really? No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. And shame is a huge topic. There was a time when preparing to be a psychotherapist, I studied shame, toxic shame, a lot. Unhealthy shame. There is a, such a thing as healthy shame, too. But unhealthy shame is at the core of a lot of destructive behavior and generates a sense of inadequacy and a feeling of embarrassment about being who we are. Shame, imposter, hiddenness, those three words go together. Is the psalmist writing about this kind of toxic shame? The research glides right over it, but the Holy Spirit takes us right to the core of it. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. In other words, hold me up, Lord. Don't let me take on the shame of my enemies. If there is someone who is actually an enemy and actually, for whatever reason, points hatred our way, believe me, they're coming from their own toxic shame. So we don't buy into it. The shame thing is what kills people. The world actually rejects much of who Christ is. So if you have given your soul to Christ, and it doesn't take much to give your soul to Christ, it could be a three-minute exchange when you were nine years old. We in the Reformed tradition believe it took. If you've given your soul to Christ, you're going to have some sort of enemies. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame when our souls are lifted to God, the shame doesn't take, it doesn't stick. When God forgives us and renews us, there is nothing for the shame to adhere to. Everything is fresh and new. Shame cannot exist in the fresh air of forgiveness and self-forgiveness and redemption. Those who are treacherous without an excuse, that's another outcome that the psalmist talks about. They will be put to shame. Evil is the face of treachery. But we know that vengeance belongs to God and Christ shows us another way that to turn the other cheek, to love the unlovable. I mean, it's easy to love the people who love us, to love the unlovable, especially those who don't love you. Don't give anyone something to bludgeon you with, even though it's impossible. Try to be blameless and that's Christ saying, not because I won't forgive you and that my grace isn't sufficient, but it'll just make your life so much easier. Christ is the answer to the angst. 
of the psalmist who wrote this psalm centuries before Christ was born. The psalmist writes, show me your ways, O Lord, teach me your path. And Jesus says, I am the way. The psalmist says, give me your truth and teach me for you are God, my savior. And the psalmist says, I am the, and Jesus says, I am the truth. Our hope is in the great mercy and love of Christ. And this inward prayer, the inward prayer that the Holy Spirit tells us to pray, ends up saying, give me Jesus. Let us pray. Part of the problem for some of us, dear Lord, is simply believing that all of this is meant for us. It is so liberating and our burdens have become heavy. And it just seems too good to be true that we could be liberated from the burdens that each one of us knows. But you have promised us, and you also have given to us the nourishment we need at this table. So be with us now, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.